Well, good morning, Berean. I get the sense that you are awake this morning. And that is unusual around here at this time. So thank you. Man, worship team, thank you for leading us in music. That was a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, Let's welcome all of our online friends joining us. And last week, we had our very first Valley Campus preview worship gathering, and I've heard it went really well. And so, (laughs) yeah. Um, This week, Rick and I are going to be going and looking at another facility as a potential home for that new campus down in the North Binghamton area. So would you continue to pray that God will do some neat things. See, I think what God has done in Green and in Cincy and Bainbridge, I think he's about to do it again. And how exciting it's going to be to see God reach some more families and more homes and more communities for Jesus Christ. Amen? Today we continue. We're nearing the end of our Refocus series, Clarity in Confusing Times. And I don't know, is it a confusing time at all? A little bit. Um, It makes me think a little bit about something that I've used a lot in my life, and that's these guys. And my parents were kind enough to get me some pretty powerful ones because they knew I was a birder. I was a kind of kid that would go out into the woods and watch birds. I know I'm strange. You can just tell me now. But uh, I noticed something quickly with binoculars. Binoculars are amazing if you do it right. Has anyone else, though, experienced the frustration of binoculars? The frustration, first of all, is trying to look through them with glasses. Just give up. Give up. It's not possible. And then if you get your eye on one of the lenses and then everything, it's like, I can't see a thing. Are these covered or whatever? Or then you accidentally leave a cover on. You ever done that? Um, But I think the challenge that all of us have found with binoculars is when we go and we look, what it's doing is it's it's making something that's distant and usually something that might be, um, you know, quite a ways away, but you're trying to see it clearly. It makes it magnified in the binoculars. Now, it doesn't make it bigger. It just makes it seem the size it actually is. But there's something you have to do to see it clearly. And what's that thing? You've got to adjust the focus. If you don't, now I can see Nate's mohawk perfectly, right? If, if you don't, it's just a ball of fuzz. It's just, it's unhelpful. And so I had to learn very quickly that if I'm going to use these things correctly, and if I'm going to see to a distance, I need to adjust the focus. And Daisy let me use her. She is now a birder. It was in the genes. So she uses her little high-powered binoculars to watch birds. And she also is using this same little thing, this focus. And what I've learned as a parent is I do a lot of adjusting these days. There's one thing that Annie and I adjust in our home constantly. It's it's not bedtimes, although when we adjust it, it affects bedtimes. It's not homework, although when we adjust it, it affects homework. It's not mealtimes, but when we adjust it, it affects mealtimes. What is that thing that we're constantly adjusting in our home? (laughs) I heard some parents say, attitudes. I think parents should just be called attitude adjusters. Like, that's our job. And what I've come to realize is the most important thing that we can help our kids do is to adjust their attitude. Because when their attitude is adjusted correctly, everything else is better. Bedtime's better, mealtime's better, school's better, chores better. 
when attitude gets adjusted. Can I hear some parents say amen? <laughs> and here's the challenge. When attitude's not adjusted, our kids might comply with us. But if they obey in disrespect, is that really obedience? It's not. And so adjusting attitude is like everything else comes from there. And as I think about that, I realize I'm not that much different. I mean, I may not be a kid anymore, but it's just because I've lived long enough to no longer be in that category. I still need my attitude adjusted. And especially living in confusing times and everything gets blurry. If I don't correctly adjust my attitude, I'm just going to be as frustrated as looking through these things and not changing the focus. And so today we're going to learn from a terrorist turned Jesus follower whose attitude went through a major adjustment. We're going to learn how to adjust our attitudes. You ready, for, you ready for this? Attitude Adjustment Sunday. Here we go. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are nearing the end of this little letter, this little epistle that we've been studying this fall. And if you want to use your chair Bible, it's page 951. Uh, it's the New Living Translation that I'm going to be reading out of. And we mention this all the time, but if you would like a Bible, that chair Bible that's near you in the, in the chair, go ahead and use it and take it home with you. That's our, that's our gift to you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up about where we left off, where Ron left off. Wasn't, didn't Ron do an excellent job teaching us last week? Excellent job. Uh, he, he got through... Um, the middle of chapter 3, but I want to back up a few verses so that we get some context. So chapter 3, verse 8, let's pick up there. It says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked Deeds. So, so this is where we begin to get into the attitude adjustment. Paul's like, look at, look at, look at. If you want to live the way that Jesus wants you to live, if you want to be refocused, if you want to have things go better in your life, it's not like externally things will change, but internally things will change, then here's what you need to get rid of. You need to get rid of these bad attitudes. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, and lying to each other. You know, what's funny is those types of attitudes become much more common when you live in a confusing season of life. When you live in a season, let me just describe, could you imagine living through a season? The Colossians were living through a season where there was a lot of chaos, controversy, and conflict. Could you imagine living through a season like that? Chaos, controversy, conflict. I can't even imagine. And Paul's like, listen, here's the things that you need to make sure you, you, you remove from your attitude. You take out of your life. You put these things off as, as if they're clothing. These are the things that you need to take off of you. That anger, that frustration, that, that talking negatively about other people. You need to cut it out. That can't be the way that you live. That can't be part of your attitude. 
And you can't use the difficult time as an excuse to do those things. We often blame our circumstances. We blame other people. We blame the mess around us for those things. And the reality is those things came out of us. They wouldn't have come out of us if they weren't in us. Right? It's like if, if you're walking through the kitchen having come from the fridge and you knock orange ju- someone knocks into you and orange juice comes out. You can blame them. Why you knocked orange juice out of my cup? Well, they did, but did they put the orange juice in there? What do you expect? Water to come out? What's going to come out is what you put in. And the challenge in life is when difficult times come, what's in us is what's get, it's what gets knocked out. Paul's like, these things that come out of you just naturally during tough times are things you can't have in you. You've got to take them off. Verse 10, here's what you're to put on. If you're going to strip these things off, here's your, what you've got to put on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We talk all the time around Berean about being a Jesus what? Jesus follower. To follow Jesus, you've got to know him. And the more you know him, the more you'll be able to follow him well. And Paul's saying, you're going to be renewed as you know your creator, and you're going to become more like him. In this new life, verse 11, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric. (laughs) Some of you are like, yay, I'm a barbarian and it doesn't matter. No, barbaric, uncivilized, slaver free. In in that day, 2,000 years ago, in this community, those were the categories that would separate people. Those were the categories rather than, uh, you know, the political categories or your views on the current issues. These were the categories. These were the dividing groups. And Paul says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which group you're in. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what your education is or your status or how much is in your bank account. Here's what matters. Christ is all that matters. Let me just ask you this morning, can you honestly say this morning, Jesus Christ is all that matters? Because there's a lot of things that feel like they matter. There's a lot of things that feel like they matter. And he's like, if you're going to adjust your focus, you've got to know Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So we got to make sure when we're adjusting our focus that we're focusing on the right things. And according to Paul, to correctly adjust your attitude and your focus, who must you be focusing on? Jesus. You focus on anything else, and you're going to be frustrated and angry and malicious. Verse 12. This is where, this is where he's going to tell us, okay, if, if you're going to take these attitudes off, what are the things that you put on? Well, here we go. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Let me ask you, did you choose God or did he choose you? He chose you. He chose me. I would have never been able in my broken, sinful, selfish state to have chosen God. While I was his enemy, he loved me and he died for me. While I was his enemy, he called me to become his son. And only because he called me did I one day respond and say yes. I was lost but now I'm found. And what was the difference? Jesus found me. I didn't find him. Since God chose you to be the holy people, let's demystify this. Holy simply means set apart or special. 
Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, set apart people, the special people he loves, here's how you must dress. You must clothe yourselves with, and then he's going to give us a list of nine articles of clothing. Clothe yourselves with, what's the first thing? Tenderhearted? Mercy. When you're angry or frustrated, who naturally feels merciful? Okay, me neither. Good. I was just making sure. Kindness. When you're angry or frustrated, who feels naturally kind? Me neither. Humility. Gentleness. And patience. What's that book that we passed out a few weeks ago titled Gentle and Lowly? This is the heart of Jesus. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. I think that's a cool wording there. Make allowance for each other's faults. I'm going to assume that you're going to offend me. I'm going to assume that you're going to do something wrong. And when I just assume that, then I can respond appropriately. Rather than, how dare you? Make allowance for each other's faults. Can you imagine if we did this in our home? Our spouse, our family member hurts or offends us. And our response isn't, I expected that from you. But our response is, listen, I've already chosen I'm going to forgive you. I understand. I understand that we're going to have conflict and trouble. I've already chosen to forgive you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. When I work with couples and teach them how to fight fair, one of the things I talk about is how to get to true forgiveness. And it's a really cool concept, especially in marriage or in family. If you offend or hurt someone and you go to them and you ask for genuine forgiveness, how cool it is to hear from them. When you say, will you forgive me? Imagine if they said, I already did. And that's the stance of a Jesus follower. I don't have to wait for you to ask me for forgiveness. I can give you forgiveness because I've made allowance for your faults. I expect that we're going to hurt each other and offend each other. And so I've predetermined I'm going to forgive you even before you ask. And then when you ask, I can tell you I've already forgave you. That's pretty cool. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone who offends you. Notice that. Anyone who offends you. Even the people we don't like. That's what's harder. When people we don't like offend us, what do we want to do? You don't want to say it because you're in church. We either want to blow them out of the water or we want to just write them off. No, that's not the way of a Jesus follower. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone who offends you. There's people that you and I have written off that we probably shouldn't have if we're going to forgive anyone who offends us. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So that's the standard. What Jesus has done for me, I'm supposed to do for others. Jesus forgave me and he continues to every single day. I have no right to write other people off when Jesus never writes me off. So you must forgive others. Above all, verse 14, clothe. He's still talking about this put on, put off, clothe analogy. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. 
I love the idea of love there making us be in perfect harmony. This morning, could you hear the music team harmonizing? You could hear the parts, and it was really a full, rich kind of musical experience for those of you who noticed that. Imagine that kind of harmony in your home. One person singing the bass and the other singing soprano, and it sounds good. You're like, I know who's singing soprano. My kids! Right? No, no, it's... it's, it's, it's complementing one another in our relationships, in our home, and we're showing love to one another, there's that sense of harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be, here's the ninth article of clothing, always be what? What is Thursday? Thanksgiving. This is the one time a year that we have to be thankful before we gouge ourselves on turkey and stuffing. But what if that was just our attitude as a Jesus follower? You know, I am just going to choose to have an attitude of gratitude. I am just going to choose to be thankful. Whether I understand life, whether I understand what's going on around me, I am going to choose to thank God. God, I really don't like this person, but thank you for bringing them into my life because they're teaching me how to be more patient. And then look at... Look, look just 12 through 15. What I've done in my Bible is I've highlighted, maybe you can circle if you're a note taker in your Bible, there's those nine qualities. Mercy, kindness, humility. Gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Love, peace, and thankfulness. And what he's saying is you're supposed to strip off those other attitudes and put these attitudes on. So he's using this put-on, put-off clothing analogy. So let me just ask you, for an easy one, why do we get dressed in the morning? <laughs> Someone said it'd be awkward if we didn't. I completely agree. We dress because we have to cover our nakedness. We really should. We dress because, especially around here, it's kind of cold to not. And we dress because it's just the appropriate thing to do. Why do we dress in these qualities or attitudes as a Jesus follower? Well, because we're covering the nakedness of our sins and our bad attitudes. We're, we're doing it because there's a warmth that can come from our life when we're dressed in these things. And we're doing it because this is what makes us appropriate to God and to others when we're dressed in these things. And you might say, man, these things, they're hard work. They're hard work. Now, I don't know. I, I don't say that about getting dressed in the morning. I don't usually say it's hard work. Um, I do it once, and I don't really think about it the rest of the day. I just kind of put my clothes on, and then I don't think about it. And, and I wonder if there's some analogy there of if I just in the morning say, okay, I'm not just going to dress my body, but I'm going to dress my attitude. I'm going to dress my attitude in these qualities. I'm going to put them on today. And they're just going to be what I what I live with, and they're going to be the way that I respond to things today. And I'm going to do this because I am a special and loved child of God. These attitudes are the attitudes of Jesus, and I want to reflect him in the way that I live today. If as a dad, I care so much about adjusting my kids' attitudes, this has made me pause and realize God cares so much about my attitude. God's trying to adjust 
my attitude. Because just like my kids, I know that if they change their attitude, the whole day goes different. And God knows that if I change my attitude, my whole day goes different. Look at verse 16. Let the message about Christ in all its richness do what in your life? Fill it. Fill it. So, so this is why we are always encouraging you. At the beginning of the year, I, I encouraged everybody to have a Bible reading plan this year. I shared with you my Bible reading plan is going to be chronologically going through the, the Bible, and I've loved that. It has filled my life with a richness every day. And whatever your Bible reading plan, and maybe you're using those devotionals that we've got out there. We've got a whole bunch more out at the Welcome Center. If you're not in a Bible reading plan every day, grab a devotional, start there, start somewhere. But everything changes when you're in the Word of God every day. Has anyone experienced this? There's something about it and you say, ah, you know what, I don't really need it every day. Have you ever said that about food? I ate yesterday. Not a big deal. Every single day in the Word of God, the richness of Jesus' story, the richness of what He's done for us, the richness of His truth will fill your life. And then when it does, here's what happens. Here's the commands that Paul gives. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. So when you give each other advice, you're doing it with all the wisdom he gives. Wow, that's really good advice. Where'd you get that from? Well, I don't know. I think I got it from God's word. Right? It's just coming out of us because it's, it's what we put in us. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. It's even what comes out of us with our music. The music that I choose to listen to and that I choose to sing indicates the condition of my heart. And he gives three types of songs here. Psalms. I don't know about you, but I used to have parents and a pastor as a kid who would take psalms and put them to music, and I would sing psalms, and they were really powerful and memorable. I memorized scripture that way. Singing psalms and hymns. These, we sang a hymn this morning, great is thy faithfulness. Sing hymns and sing spiritual songs. This is modern songs. These are any other songs that are spiritual in lyric. And we sing all these different types of songs to God with what type of hearts? Thankful hearts. And verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Why must I put on these attitudes? Because these are the attitudes of Jesus. Because I am, what does verse 17 say? I'm to do it as a representative of Jesus. If I'm representing Jesus and I am an angry, frustrated, rude person, how are people going to see Jesus? Exactly the same way. Angry, rude, frustrated person. And that is the last thing that Jesus is. So I am so off base when my attitude is like that because people are seeing a wrong Jesus. They're seeing a false Jesus through me. 
And, and now Paul's going to be specific here, and he's going to say, okay, if you're adjusting your attitude, if, if you're putting on these qualities that I've told you to put on, here's what it's going to look like in your home. Here's what it's going to look like in your work. And he gets really specific. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Some of you are like, why did he begin there? Some of you might be waiting for the modernized translation of that. You're reading it. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Well, there's got to be a contemporary, acceptable way to explain that, isn't there? Yeah, it goes like this. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands, to the leadership of your husband. God has given them the authority and the responsibility to lead your home and your marriage. God made men first. He made Adam first. He made Eve second. And that divine order is not an equality difference thing. It's not like men are more significant or more important. Not the case at all. In fact, many people think God messed up and he tried again and made Eve. It's, it's, a, it's a headship, it's an authority, it's a leadership thing. And so a biblical wife, a wife who wants to honor Jesus, will be submitting to the authority of her husband. She will. This is just how it looks. It doesn't say it's easy. It doesn't say do this if your husband is a good leader. Do this if your husband is respectable. It, it, it doesn't. In fact, in other scriptures that Paul wrote, it says this is how you might win your husband to Jesus is by doing this. Wives, submit to your husbands, to their leadership, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, you're not off the hook. We're next. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. You're looking for a modern translation of that? You just read it? Love your wives. When he says love your wives, what's he talking about? 1 Corinthians 13 is where Paul fully unpacks this idea of love. Love is patient. So guys, husbands, let's think in terms of the definition that Paul's already given us about love. To my life, to my wife, I am to be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Love always protects and always hopes and always trusts and always perseveres. Love never fails. That is the way I am to love my wife. And husbands, that is the way you are to love your wives. Love your wives and never treat them harshly. Kids, you're not off the hook. You're next. <laughs> oh, man. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Again, there's, there's no wiggle room here. There's no asterisk here. There's no, there's no exceptions here. Always obey your parents. Your parents are your authority given to you by God. You honor God when you honor your parents. You obey God when you obey your parents. You say, what if my parents ask me to do something that's against God? That's probably very rare. 
But if that's the case, then yes, you can't do that. But as a general rule, children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. This is a talk we have regularly with our kids. We're asking you to obey us so you learn how to obey God. Because right now, if you want to obey God, it means obeying us. I know you want to be independent. I know you want to do your own thing, and someday you will. But when that day comes, we hope you learn to obey God, and you only learn to obey God by learning to obey us as your mom and dad. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. I know it doesn't always make sense, and I know that's not always easy. And I know as you get older, it seems like your parents know less and less. But they know far more than you do. They've experienced far more than you have. You need to trust them that they have your best in mind. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, he drops in here a special word to dads. Fathers, do not aggravate your children. I don't know why he thinks us dads are going to aggravate our kids. I think there's a lot of things that we as dads do that could cause that to happen when we're inconsistent, when we're perfectionists, when our kids don't know when we're pleased with them or not, when we're distant, when we're harsh. All those things can make our kids aggravated. Fathers, don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. You don't don't want to discourage your kids. You don't want to discourage them. Verse 22, slaves. Now, last I checked, slavery was illegal, at least in America. So slaves in that day were people who worked most of the day for masters. In today's culture, who would be maybe the closest thing to a slave? Okay, an employee, someone who works in the job force. You probably feel like a slave. You feel like your master treats you like a slave. So if that's you, you just need to know, then there's some application here. If you're someone that works for a living, you work part-time, full-time, whatever, or maybe it's unpaid work, you volunteer or you work in the home, then you probably really get treated like a slave by some people. Slaves, here's the challenge to you. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. How common is it, if you're in the workforce, that when your boss is watching, you do what he or she asks? But boy, when they turn their back, you're on your own. You can take shortcuts, you can talk about them, you can do what you want. How common is that? And Paul's like, it's not, it shouldn't be common at all if you're a Christian. When your boss is looking at you or when your boss is ignoring you, you're Your work should be the same. Your work should be the same. You should be trying to please your master, your boss. Serve them sincerely. Don't just serve them because you want your job. Don't just serve them because you want a raise. Don't just serve them because you're trying to win their favor. Serve them sincerely. Why? Because of your reverent fear of the Lord. This is why Christians should be the best workers in the workforce. At Raymond up the road, who should be the very best workers at Raymond? The followers of Jesus. At Chobani up the road further, who should be the very best workers? The Jesus followers. At any business, at any employer throughout our entire region, the very best employees should be those who follow Jesus. Because they're not doing it to win favor with their earthly boss. They're doing it because they fear their heavenly boss. It's a different motivation. It's a much more powerful one. Verse 23, work willingly. (laughs) That's a hard one. Work willingly. How many times are we just checking our watch 
seeing if our shift's done, calling in sick, whatever. No, no, no. Work willingly at whatever you do. You say, well, my job's not that significant. (laughs) Whatever you do, work willingly as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. You say, I just clean toilets for a living. Clean it as if God was going to sit on it next. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just saying, work at whatever you're doing as if you're literally doing it for your heavenly father. Not for your boss. Not for your coworkers, And not for your company. And here's what you can remember. That the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong... You will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Really practical stuff here. Masters, be just. Now he's going to talk to bosses and masters. Be just and fair to your slaves. If you're an employer, a business owner, God has some instructions for you too, right? Be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Treat those who work for you the way that God treats you. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now Paul just gives us a little hint here. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Where is Paul writing this letter from? from house arrest in Rome, a long way from home. Paul isn't asking that they pray that he gets out of his chains, is he? What's he asking? He's asking that he has a good attitude in the chains. That's fascinating. God, give me a different job. Or God, give me a good attitude in this current job. God, give me a different spouse. No, no, give me a different attitude with this marriage. God, give me different kids for crying out loud. No, God, give me a different attitude towards my kids. Paul is praying for an attitude that's bold, which I think is fascinating. Paul literally viewed his captors as the opportunity that God brought to him. He was chained, the way house arrest worked in in the Roman Empire is you would be chained to a Roman soldier. It was a pretty intimate type of prison. Where you went, he went, and vice versa. So, So you were never alone, you were never out of their sight. Do you know these letters that Paul wrote that have changed many churches, many communities, and many of us, do you know who heard them first? The Roman soldiers who were chained to Paul. Think of that. His captors heard these because Paul dictated them to someone who wrote them. His Roman captors heard these portions of the Bible before anybody else. And Paul's like, don't let me miss that opportunity. Don't let me ignore these guys that I am frustrated by, that I'm chained to. They are my opportunity to show Jesus. And man, if in chains I can have a good attitude, I know they'll take notice. And if in chains I can be bold for Jesus, I know I can make an impact. 
Look at verse five, last two verses here that we're gonna finish with. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Paul viewed his chains as an opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, to me this is the climax of this entire passage, let your conversation be what? Gracious and attractive. Have you ever thought about that? That We use the word attractive for a lot of other things. For me, there's cars that are attractive. There's people that are attractive. But conversations? My conversations? Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Attractive there is literally, let it be seasoned with salt. If you ever use salt at a meal, you know that salt just makes things a ton better. Let your conversations be seasoned with salt. Let them be seasoned with salt. You can't control what happens to you, but you can absolutely control how you respond. Sometimes, to refocus, we need to adjust our attitude. And Paul hears like it's really simple. You've got to put these attitudes off. Take them off. And you've got to put these new attitudes on. Now, I think the rub here, the frustration here is, I think many of us want to. I mean, let me just put it this way. Who here would love to have a bad attitude? We don't want a bad attitude. But the challenge is, when life is chaotic or controversial or filled with conflict and controversy, it's just natural to respond with frustration, with anger, with bitterness, with whatever the case may be, it's not natural to to respond with gracious and attractive conversations. And so Paul isn't saying to try harder. I don't want you to miss this. This isn't a moral sermon. Just try harder to be better and have a better attitude. That's a recipe for making your life more frustrating. Right? And, and, and again, this is a parent-to-child conversation I have with my younger kids. Daddy, I try. How come I keep sinning? Because you're a little wretched, dark-hearted kid. No, right? <laughs> it's because you're a little wretched, dark-hearted kid. And I'm a big, wretched, dark-hearted adult. And we're selfish by nature. And no matter how hard I try, the real Justin keeps coming out. And so I am told, I don't want you to miss where we began. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This isn't about trying harder. This is about letting Jesus grow in you deeper. This is about taking off my bad attitude and putting on Jesus. It's not about trying harder. It's about giving up, saying, Jesus, change me, fill me, Today, I want to live in your power because my power cannot get me through this day and my power cannot get me through this season of life. And so I give up and I let you take over and give me the power that I don't have. And when you refocus on Jesus, the attitude shifts and life doesn't necessarily get easier but everything gets better just because you're seeing everything through the lens of Jesus, your Savior, 
And my friends, you can't get much better than Jesus. And there's a lot of things in our world to look at right now. But I'm telling you what, if you look at Jesus, it will change the way you see everything else. So what if this Thanksgiving week we just say, okay, I'm going to adjust my focus and I'm going to focus on Jesus. And I'm going to let him give me a brand new attitude. Would you, would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to invite our music team to come up and they're going to lead us in a final song. I actually want to read the lyrics of this song to you. This is just a, a moment to kind of contemplate what we've just learned. The, the song is titled this, Christ Be Magnified. Kind of appropriate, considering our binoculars analogy. Christ be magnified. May Christ, may I get him into focus, and may he get bigger in my life. Here's what I want you to know about magnifying Jesus. You'll never inaccurately magnify him. And what I mean by that is, you can't ever make Jesus bigger than he is. You can't. He is the biggest, most powerful being in the entire universe. He is the Son of God. And when I magnify him, that means when I make a big deal out of him, when I make him my attention and my focus, when he flows through me, everything starts to change. Here's what this song says. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my, hearts will, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. And here's our song, Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. From the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. Let me ask you this morning, my friend, is Jesus Christ your boss? Is he your master? If you call yourself a Jesus follower, if you've had the faith to put your trust in Jesus, then he is your master. So are you putting him on each morning? This week, will you put him on in the morning and say, Jesus, live through me. Jesus, live in me. I'm not going to try harder today. I'm going to let you give me a new attitude. I'm going to let you put your attitude of gentleness and humility and forgiveness. I'm going to let you infuse me with these qualities that I don't naturally have, with these qualities that are native to my temperament or personality, and I'm going to let you be magnified through me. I'm going to let you make my conversations gracious and attractive. And listen, maybe you're here and, and you're just kind of kicking the tires on this Christianity thing. You're curious. Someone invited you. We're so glad you're here. Listen, maybe today for you, the first step of that is realizing that you need to decide what to do with Jesus. Is he who he claimed to be, the son of God? Or was he a liar? Because if he wasn't a liar, then 
There's no other name under heaven that can save a person but the name of Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer today is that you call on the name of Jesus, that in your heart you believe and are saved. Saved from the wrath and the judgment to come. Saved and given the gift of eternal life. And today, if if you choose Jesus, I want you to know it's only because Jesus has already chosen you. He's called you to be his loved and special child. And there is no greater thing than to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you. Father, thank you so much for teaching us that it's not by human effort that we live this life. It is through the power of your son, Jesus. God, this week, amidst all the chaos and controversy amidst travel and seeing family and maybe some interpersonal tensions and conflicts that we might be exposed to, God, may Jesus make our conversations gracious and attractive. May he make our attitudes like what we've just read. May we reflect Jesus well to the people around us. And we pray this in the powerful name, the only name that can save, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.